submitted for your consideration. Man has always challenged nature, thinking that they contain the elements. But what happens when nature changes the rules and fights back? This is a Nature vs. Man 2 for one literary licensed podcast episode exploring science fiction and horror and weighing the outcomes of a dying planet with your co-hosts Keith Chalco, John Wilson, Vicki Ray, and Jesse Fultz. Man will forever be changed. Hello, welcome to Literary License Podcast, and today we are doing an interview with Allery Alkium. He is the director of Eight-Legged Freaks, They Nest, Return of the Living Dead, Necropolis, Return of the Living Dead, Raid to the Grave, and Without a Paddle, Nature's Calling. Hello, Allery. Welcome to the Literary License Podcast. How are you today? Hello, I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for having me. And we also have Joe Randazzle with us, who's with Trauma Films, and he's a writer and producer, and he's with us as well. Hello, Joe. Hi, everyone. So I guess we'll start this with um, Allery. You come from New Zealand. What started you in becoming interested in making films? Well, I started making films uh, very early on uh, in high school when VHS was all the rage back in the 80s. I was all over it and I was just running around with a VHS, VHS camera on my parents' farm making kung fu movies with my brothers uh, dressed up like ninjas. <laughs> and using, uh, you know, uh, borrowing uh, uh, tubes and, and, and fake blood and uh, cutting off hands and, and going to the local magic shop uh, for fake body parts and, uh, and borrowing uh, buckets of, uh, of blood and uh, fake limbs from uh, Richard Taylor, uh, who was, went on to do uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, uh, so I could walk into Weta Workshop and just say, hey, have you got any spare body parts today? And uh, <laughs> and I would walk out with a bunch of uh, arms and legs and heads and uh, and uh, and and uh, so those were the days. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> you also did like commercials and music videos and television shows as well. How was that breaking into that field? Doing it yeah, on a professional uh, basis. Well, yeah, I did. I like. I sort of started out very young, like doing, uh, working in the camera department. So I was a camera assistant uh, on, on all those things you mentioned, uh, commercials and TV shows and music videos. And it's just a great training ground. You get to, because you've got, when you work on commercials, there's a lot of money. So you get to see all the toys and, and work with the best of the best because they can afford it. So mm-hmm. you just learn a lot and you make a lot of contacts and and that helps you when you're trying to do your own uh, little films. Wonderful. And um when you were uh, when you were coming of age uh, what what were the uh, what were the films that really inspired you? Um it oh, wow. it seems like a lot of uh a, a lot of the stuff might have been more uh more leaning towards the classic uh the classic side. Yeah, um like a- as a kid in the 80s I was literally in hog heaven. Like now that I think about it, it was just such a wonderful time um, because, you know, you had the blockbuster movies of the 80s like Star Wars, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, Superman, the movie, uh, Jaws, all, the, all these. It really was the early or well, sort of 
I wouldn't say the earliest blockbuster era because that was sort of beginning in the late 70s, but it was fully fledged in the in the 80s. Everyone, every movie had to be a blockbuster. So, you know, I was like 15 in 1985, giving away my age, but, um, you know, it was just, just you know, you were just blown away with, with the movies as, as a teenager And also you had 80s pop culture with video games coming along and music videos coming along and all these cool new things um, that really started in <laughs> and, and are still here. You know, if you think about all the franchises that started then, like Star Wars and Terminator and Aliens and all these things, they're still here. You know, they're still going. Um, and uh, 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 it's just amazing. So I, I, I kind of felt spoiled Um, and I just embraced it, and 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 so I was a huge fan of Spielberg and Lucas, obviously, and um, a lot of that sort of rubbed off on me. And you you, you know you find yourself copying <laughs> copying mm -hmm. what, what their styles and what they're doing, and and then going on to develop your own kind of uh, style from there. You know, it's uh, de definitely noticeable, specifically with Eight Legged Freaks, because it feels like it feels like although it's uh it's an homage to low budget monster movies. It, it kind of feels at times like it is trying to be as big as those, uh, those blockbuster movies of the eighties. So it, it definitely shows in that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, a, a lot of these, um, you know, I think it was Corman who said, uh, you know, when Jaws came along, Corman was like, you know, damn it. They, They just took a B-movie idea and they threw a lot of money at it. And, you know, I wish I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they figured it out. They, they figured it out what to do, you know. So, because so, really, you know, a lot of these big movies are, are kind of like B-movie ideas, high-concept B-movie ideas, but with, with, with some money behind it, you know, to, to really uh, to sort of, Uh, I don't know, increase the thrills and spectacle, you know. You worked with Mickey Rudy on The Adventures of Black Stallion, which was a TV production. Um, how did you find working in the television? Yeah, well, I, I was on the crew, you know, so, uh, but it was a real, really interesting uh, being down in New Zealand and, and all these big celebrities coming down to do the show. You know, Mickey was, was an interesting guy, I was kind of in awe of him because I'm a little, I'm a film nerd. So mm -hmm. I study film history. I know, I knew, I knew probably more than most people about Hollywood, the golden age of Hollywood. So I was kind of in awe of Mickey and I would love to listen to his stories about old Hollywood and Judy Garland. And, and I was just absolutely um, kind of enthralled. Uh, whereas a lot of people, I think just thought he was this grumpy old guy. Uh, I <laughs> You know, I just thought, wow, you know, he's he's a legend, and um, and and so and and it was funny because he would he he would come on and do a scene. He didn't. He was he's you know he. I wouldn't say it was a bit part, but it it kind of was because they would need we 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 maybe needed him for one day, or sorry, one scene a, a day. You know, and he would so he would be mm -hmm. he would come on he would come on. His, his manager slash stand-in would do the scene and he would watch the, uh, watch the stand-in do the scene and then he'd go, okay, roll camera, and he would just copy 
the guy and do the scene and then and then and then go play golf. <laughs> and, and and actually he might have even bought he might I think he went or, or he would go buy a brewery or something in his spare time, you know. Like <laughs> but you know, he had a he he had a good he had a good gig on that one because he would just come and do his thing and and be nice to everybody and then and then he would go play golf, you know. Um, but 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 he was uh, as an actor he uh, it's just so easy for him he's just a veteran and so he could just turn it on and off so well and get the lines perfectly and didn't really need a lot of takes and uh, it was amazing to watch you know someone who's just that professional and that experienced just nail it you know on the first take and then it was like okay where's my golf cart <laughs> <laughs> You also started making a lot of um, short films um, that were actually supported with fi financial assistance from the New Zealand government and right. so on and so forth. How did you find how did you find making short films and, and yeah. the experience of that? Yeah, um, well, I, I kind of was lucky right out of the gate. Uh, my first short film, I, I got funded on my very first try when I put in for an application. And it was called The Fifth Chair, and it was, uh, I don't know where this idea came from. It was about a guy dealing with everything was going wrong in his life, uh, kind of like Bruce Almighty a little bit, like the theme there where he's blaming all the problems on God. And so he, uh, he decides to turn to the dark side because his life's a mess. So, oh, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll, I'll get into, uh, I'll go to the dark side because maybe that'll be better for me. And then he ends up falling in with this group of crazy, like, uh, you know, uh, devil worshipping guys. But really, they're just a bunch of losers who want to drink beer. And, and uh, anyway, and he ends up getting uh, chased, chased, chased through the streets of Wellington uh, w uh, with one of the guys wielding a chainsaw, you know. And uh, <laughs> so I really don't know where this idea came from. It just came from my, my crazy imagination. But... Um, it, 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 they, they gave, you know, they must have liked the script. They, they appreciated the writing, and and I had a very good referee that helped me get the money. I learned early on that if you want to raise money, you've got to get somebody meaningful on board that backing you, so that the money people go, okay, this he's got Peter Jackson's producer, you know that that's, you know that that's a good thing. That, that if they like it, then it you know it gives them confidence so I, I actually had peter jackson's first producer jim booth as my referee for that script and um and that i think that helped a little bit with the funding it was a fifteen thousand dollar budget which is pretty amazing at that time i was like 20 years old and and i and it was a very professional shoot because i'd been working in commercials so i had all these commercials people helping me and uh and but of course it went horribly over budget because i was way too ambitious and i think i like doubled the budget um <laughs> you know because you're like 20 and you're like i want this and i want that and all of a sudden it's like oh my god you know everything's caught like you realize that film is just a cash eating monster you know mm. uh especially when you're shooting on, on on actual film we were shooting on 16 millimeter and i had to have 
I had to have the 12K lights and I had to have this and I had to have that and all the things I'd seen on commercials, I had to have it all, you know. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, my God, I'm bankrupt. Um, but, but, but at 20, you're like, oh, you know, okay, well, I learned something. And then I, you know, you go and you make other films and you learn how to kind of curtail or get real with your um, production and your, you learn how to kind of keep things under control and how to scale back and, and the reality of, uh, uh, of budgeting and, and, and being responsible and all these things. So it, so, it was, so it ended up being a good investment because it led to getting funding for more films uh, and the film that really kind of that no one really mentioned on the last podcast was was called Larger Than Life, which was really the bug movie, the short bug movie, the real homage to films like Them and Tarantula and Incredible Shrinking Man. It was that little short film that actually got me the Eight-Legged Freaks deal. It wasn't They Nest. They, uh, it was Larger Than Life, which, you know, I shot in black and white and... Uh, with a, an original orchestral score, I had a sixty-piece orchestra do the score, um, and and because we, I really wanted that uh, old-school nineteen-fifties um, feeling of you know with the black and white and the and the music, uh, but combining it with new technology. So so it was, I think that's what sort of made it interesting and why it kind of got the attention of Roland and Dean. Uh, uh, is because it, you know, it, it was a homage to those old movies, but it had the new technology, and and uh, we had, we're, we were kindred spirits for those kinds of films. So that's uh, that's really what led to Eight Legged Freaks and and the Cockroach movie. They nest. That was sort of an in betweener. Uh, it, it just kind of popped up while I was writing Eight Legged Freaks, and they said, "Do you want to do this Cockroach movie?" And I was like. Well, I guess I'm the bug guy now, so sure. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is that short film available anywhere? Yeah, it's on the Eight Legged Freaks DVD special bonus features. So it's it, it's a little tricky to, to, to get it. The way they put it on the menu is a little tricky, but it's there. And, uh, yeah, it, it's larger than life. You, you kind of have to click sideways to get it. It's kind of weird, but it is there. Oh, it's an Easter egg. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I have the DVD in the living room. I'll check it out after the interview. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's there. It's kind of a shame they didn't promote it a bit more, but it's also on YouTube. If you just go larger than life, you know, Ellery, whatever. I've, got, I've actually got a YouTube channel, and I put it on there. Um, and by the way, I oh, also... Excellent. Yeah, I've got a YouTube channel. It's just it's a little a picture of me with a little dog. That's the thing you click on. And, and um, also for the bug fans out there, I put a I I put a concept trailer on there called Pestilence, which is a concept for a, a big bug TV series. Oh, all right, right. Okay. It's like it's basically um, the Walking Dead with bugs. <laughs> I uh, just found you and subscribed to you, and I uh, I will watch the short later. Yeah, I have like four subscribers. I'm so excited. <laughs> 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 a 
I got I got to take a look at your trailer for Pestilence too. Uh, it's, it sounds sounds fun. Yeah, uh, check it out. I think you'll really like it. It's probably way too expensive for anybody, but I just what I did was I just cut. I just grabbed a bunch of stuff from different movies, including my own Eight Legged Freaks. But I grabbed stuff from King Kong, Starship Troopers, Eight Legged Freaks, a bunch of the uh, I think uh, the Maze Runner, like all, all these things, and news footage, and I com- com- turned it into this. And it's very easy to understand what this is. And it's it's not eight-legged freaks. It's a very dark, serious, post-apocalyptic uh, TV show like The Walking Dead, but with big bugs. So that's what it is. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, Sounds fun. I'll take it off the yeah. I'd watch it. So <laughs> what, what, what is your... I love things like that. So what got you into, you know, the giant spiders? Is it because you have a excessive fear of spiders or is it just you quite, or is it more like you just have a huge homage to the 1950s and the, the big insect monster movies that were coming out around that time? Yeah. Well, it, I'm a pretty pragmatic, practical guy. So it's not like I had this weird necessarily thing i had to do bugs or whatever although i will say you know when i was when i was in the 80s when i was you know making films and stuff i've always been a kind of a prankster Mm -hmm. so i would go to the joke shop and i would get rubber bugs and i would put them on people's shoulders or you know i would or i would you could get ice cubes with flies kind of frozen in them and stuff (laughs) and i would put them in people's drinks and like I, I, I was a practical joker, you know, and I, I was always playing jokes to try to scare people. And I don't know, maybe I'm just a sadist. I don't know, but <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I, I guess maybe I was bored. I, I really don't know, but I just I got a kick out of scaring people, and um and and you know, sort of in a jokey way. Not to I don't want to give anybody a heart attack, but um uh and and so I, I think. Uh, just the idea of that. I guess when the video cameras came along, I realized, man, I can I can put this on camera. So I can, you know, instead of having to do this in in real life, I can just put this on 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 video or on film, and you know, people can be entertained over and over, and I don't have to give them a heart attack, you know. So so it was just a progression from doing jokes and magic into into uh, putting stuff on camera. Um, and then when it came time, as I progressed from being a freelance camera guy to making my own films, I, I got to the point where I knew there was money available to make a big budget short film, right? So the Film Commission uh, made it clear that, you know, they had uh, a good amount of money, like $100,000 plus, to do uh, a, a you know to do short films and that's a, that's a lot of money for a short film. Um, so, but I, I knew that. Okay, first of all, I want to make at least three to to get good first before I go for that money, to get a track record. So it was quite strategic. And uh, by the time I got ready to do that big budget short film, I was like, right, I, I don't want to waste this opportunity. Um, and I was not interested in making a personal kind of film about my mother or, you know, any kind of personal thing. I 
wanted to make a, a short film that was like a, a, a genre film. Okay. So then, then you think about, well, what, what kind of genre film, you know, and, and then I, I thought scary would be good. And then I just started researching these old films and, 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 it, and, and, but really I tell you what the light bulb moment was. The light bulb moment was in 1993 when I went to see Jurassic Park. Mm. Um, and so I was like 23. I think it was 93. Is that right? Does that sound about right? Uh, 93 sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I remember I went to see a midnight screening, a late screening of Jurassic Park, and it was raining outside. It was just like in the movie, you know, it was like, and so I, I watched the movie and it just completely blew me away and scared the crap out of me uh, because it was so realistic. You know, it was the first time anyone had used CGI that photo realistically. And I came out of the theater with my girlfriend and it was raining and dark. And I was just like, whoa, you know, is a dinosaur going to jump out? You know, I, I, I still was in the movie, <laughs> even coming out. But then I had this uh, uh, kind of a, a epiphany and I was like, and it just hit me. And I said, and I was like, I got to make a 12 minute Jurassic Park. That's how I break into Hollywood. <laughs> right. <laughs> I got to make it. Yeah. I got to make a 12 because, and then, and then it all came together and I was like, uh, I, I want to have very little dialogue. I want to tell it with pictures. I want to do suspense and music and just an audio visual experience for 12 minutes, blow everyone away. And that's going to get me a job in Hollywood. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, it was, it, it was just amazing. It was like, wow, this actually worked. You know, um, and and so, uh, yeah, and 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 I, I don't know what else to really say. That's kind of that's really what that movie really inspired that. And uh, because when you do stuff that is uh, without a lot of dialogue and you can tell a story with pictures, uh, it, it travels internationally a lot better. You don't need subtitles and translation. Everybody can understand what's going on. Mm. Uh, so, so then Larger Than Life, did you... No, go ahead, go, go right ahead. So, so Larger Than Life, did you use practical effects or were you using CGI as well or a mixture of both? Uh, it was a mixture. Like, it was a mixture. And I think that really helps the movie. Like, it was annoying dealing with practical effects on the set, but... I think it really helped. Um, we had we we built this big puppet, uh, uh, like an animatronic spider puppet, for mm -hmm. close-ups, and I think it really did help. Um, so it was a it was a puppet and also CGI, but because I did it in black and white, you can get away with a multitude of sins. You know, you, you it, it kind of helps. Uh, doing it in black and white helps you get away with. Uh, you know, special effects, uh, if that makes any sense. Um, it's just, it's just easier. Um, but, but I took the black and white pretty seriously. Like I studied Schindler's list and I read about how the cinematographer on that movie did a lot of tests with colors to see what, how colors translate in black and white. So everything was, mm -hmm 
painted and art directed so red looks a certain way in black and white and green looks a certain way and all these things. So the movie was very well, the art direction, the makeup, the lighting, everything was geared to maximise the black and white as much as possible. You and This actually caused you to go to Hollywood and work in the Hollywood film system. How did you find that experience? Uh, wow. That, it, like, so that was a whole... <laughs> that, that's a game changer. So, so you know, you, you, you're in New Zealand... You're a shit-kicking kid from a farm who's is into films, right? Mm-hmm. You're, 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 you don't really know about the business of the business. And, you know, I knew a little bit from working in commercials, you know. But, but you know, it's nothing like Hollywood. So you get to Hollywood and, you're, and, and it's, okay, now it's, now it's the real deal. And, um, and you, and, and, you've got to um, learn how to collaborate very quickly. Like, so, you know, you're not always going to get your way a hundred percent. And, and so you have to become very good at collaboration. And so uh, it's an adjustment. And, uh, but fortunately I had that little, they nest helped because it was a a lower budget film, a $3 million film, whereas eight legged freaks is a $30 million film. So, so having doing they nest was a nice kind of uh, primer before eight legged freaks to kind of get familiar with how things work and um, and uh, yeah so uh, I, I guess everyone has a different way of dealing with things. Some people re- really don't like being told what to do by executives or they they can't handle di- different ideas or having their ideas shot down or whatever. So they don't last very long in Hollywood, some people. But but really, if you want to work, you you just have to be sort of flexible and uh, and, and 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 good to work with and easy to work with. So I, I sort of decided, you know, that's what I need to do is just, you know, uh, listen to people and uh, you know and, and 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 also make sure try to make sure we're all making the same movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because it's no good if, like, this is my idea for the movie and that's your idea for the movie. Like, we all need to be at least on the same page. That's that's a really good start right there, you know. And the producers were um, Dean Devlin and Aurora Navratch, which are sisters or no from, like, Independence Day, Godzilla, Day After Tomorrow, uh, so on yeah, and so uh, forth. Yeah, yeah, huge guys, yeah, yeah. So what was it like working with such high, well, you know, high-powered producers as well? Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of intimidating uh, at first, but they're just pretty regular guys. And, you know, when you share the same passion, when you share a passion for the same kind of movies, it makes it easier. You know, they just love these old movies. They love genre movies. They love creature movies. They love science fiction. They love action and explosions. <laughs> so, so and blowing stuff up, you know. So, 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 you know, so do I. So, <laughs> so that, that make, that made it a lot easier. Um, you know, th- there were times where I wanted the movie to be a little less uh, campy and silly. Uh, some of the, you know, like you guys mentioned, some of the sounds the spiders were making on the uh, last podcast. And, you know, uh, sometimes I thought it went a little bit over the top. 
And I would have preferred it to sort of dial it back a little and have it a little more on the scary side. Um, but, you know, like you guys said, you know, we, we, we just knew that the whole premise of the movie was kind of silly anyway. Like the idea of these giant spiders is kind of a silly idea, right? So, so there's a part of, so the idea was just to kind of go with that and embrace the silliness and, say okay well when they're not screaming when the audience is not screaming they're laughing and when they're when they're not laughing they're screaming you know and and, and try to sort of like uh sort of jump back and forth between those emotions you know mm-hmm. and, and, and um but but if you look at larger than life the black and white it the tone of that film is very very different from eight-legged freaks like they're two different movies um and, but the decision was made on eight-legged freaks. You know, we're, we're you know, I, I guess the model. I guess you you could say the model for eight-legged freaks was the movie, like the movie Tremors. You know, remember that movie Tremors? Yeah, Tremors. Yes, yeah. I love Tremors. Yeah, so do, so do we, right? So we, we really like the movie and how they balance the, the 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 humor and the and the threat. And the trick, one of the tricks is you don't make fun of the threat. You know, you can you can ha- you can get a lot of humor out of the characters and how they react to the situation, but you try not to make fun of the actual threat, you know, mm. um, because then you diminish it, you know. And uh, so you always have to make sure that you you know you, your creatures are scary and threatening. Well, they tend to take your template and then apply it to later, you know, years later with the film Piranha. Yeah, the Prana film. So that was quite interesting that, you know, the template that you kind of started out with with six um, legged freaks is actually something that they started using for other creature films um, later on, sort of thing. So, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a a, a tricky balance. Um, But I think that, like you guys said, you know, having it not, I I didn't want it to be too gory. I didn't want a lot of blood. I, I wanted it to be a fun, like a thrill ride, you know? like a fun popcorn movie and uh, not too gory and just uh, so, you know, that was, that was the intention. Oh, mission accomplished on that. that it, <laughs> it definitely achieves both. Uh, it, even now, you know, nearly 20 years later, watching it, uh, watching it uh, last week, it, it is, it is such a fun movie to watch and it is a breeze. Like it's before, you know, it, you're 45 minutes in and, and you're hooked so definitely mission accomplished on that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, I have a my uh, my roommate's a big fan of two specific people on the cast, and yep. I, uh, I I guess he would definitely want me to ask. Uh, uh, Tom Noonan is the first one, and uh, David Arquette is the other. He he yep. loves both. Uh, what were they like? What 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 was it like working with them? Well, David is just a pleasure. Like so easy to work with. Just just. You know, I'm not just saying this. He really is. Like, he's just a genuinely nice guy. Like, you, you know, you, you'll be working in the middle of the night and craft services have gone home and he'll show up with, like, some ribs and mashed potatoes for the crew off his <laughs> own dime, you know. you just show up with food. And you're like, dude, what are you doing here? He's like, well, I thought you guys might be hungry. Uh, what? Okay. <laughs> like, 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 that's him. Like, he's just a genuinely nice guy. Um, so I, I don't know, I don't know what more to say. Like, um, he, 
I think that that people just like like you guys kind of said like on the last podcast the lovable loser character uh the underdog you know that's that's what we needed for this movie and and that's that's what david david's very good at at, at doing um it, it you know sort of this underdog character he he can't he doesn't know how to deal with, with women he's terrible at uh, you know he he doesn't know how to ask her out he you know he's awkward you know everyone's been there everybody's you know a lot of people are, are are like that you know but then he comes into his own he comes into his own over the course of the movie um you know he and it was very difficult for him he lost his father during during the production so that was very very uh difficult so um but he just kept on going and uh you know uh, soldiered on you know so that was pretty amazing um tom noonan was 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 uh a pretty small role he, he kind of got killed off early um i i heard what you guys said about you know would have been nice to kill off some other people unexpectedly and i totally agree with that <laughs> <laughs> like yeah it would have been i love i love doing things that are surprising in a movie it would have been good to kill off i don't know the kid the motorcycle kid you know, or I don't know, something like Game of Thrones, you know, they always kill people that you don't expect. They, they're they quite happy to kill the lead character, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe this wasn't the, maybe this wasn't the right movie to type of movie to do that. Um, but, and one thing is that I want people to know is I lobbied very hard to bring back the dog. Oh. I, I wanted to bring back, and I even, went against the producer's wishes and I brought the dog to the set on the last day of filming to say, hey, can we just do an alternative ending where, where the dog like comes out with everybody, you know? And I, I, they didn't want to do it. They, I just couldn't get them. I just, they, I said, look, let's just do it and we don't have to put it in the cut, you know, we'll see how it tests, you know? Like, no, no, it wasn't going to happen. So anyway, I just wanted, for the record, I did want to bring back the dog it's kind of weird that he wouldn't let the dog come back considering like you know michael douglas made war of the roses and as you know there's that one scene where kathleen turner looks like she's feeding his favorite dog to him yeah but because there because there was such an uproar about it they had to do like a shot of the dog at one point in the film to show the dog was still alive even though that wasn't the yeah. plan so, yeah of course i mean people love animals and that me included you know i'd I, I don't know. I just felt like this type of movie, you know, it, it wouldn't be out of place to bring the dog back in this type of family kind of movie. It, I, I guess it's not really a family movie, but, you know, a scary family movie, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd rather would have killed off some, uh, I rather would have killed off some of the, uh, some of the actors, to be honest. <laughs> But why bring the dog back and not the cat? No, I'm teasing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and so there's some other things I want to address about the, like some logic. You guys brought up some logic problems and stuff with the crickets and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And, and the deputy. So, um, well, first of all, you have to ingest the toxic crickets to uh, mutate, right? So the, mm-hmm. the guy in the pond, he, he, he didn't ingest anything, right? He's just... Mm. He had his safety gear on. He had his waders. He didn't come in contact directly with the waste. 
uh, or it was not ingested. You know, he put it on his head. And I, I know it sounds really nerdy and anal to say that, but you know, <laughs> that, that's that's the that's the, that's the logic there. And and in, and in terms of the crickets not getting big, that's kind of a good point. We could have had a tag with a big cricket at the end, I guess. Um, but uh, I guess it was you could you could assume that there was something in the spider DNA that reacted with the waste that was specific to spiders. You know, you know that's I guess that's how I would logic my way out of that one. Um, <laughs> just just I just wanted to 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 you know. To, to put that uh, out there, you know, for all the uh, all the people who uh, like to pick things apart. Um, but 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 Tom Tom was really good in that role. He was he was very creepy. Uh, he was a very creepy character, and uh, he took he took it very seriously. So um, you know, it, it was uh, yeah yeah I. I I almost felt it. So, sometimes it was almost he was almost too too scary and too creepy. <laughs> that that seems to be that that seems to be uh, the the way he uh, he comes off a lot of times, and it's why he's such a great villain. He's just a fantastic villain. Yeah, but at the end of the day, you know, he was just this weird guy with a spider collection in the desert. I mean, he he wasn't out to hurt anybody. He just was an eccentric spider collector, really. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. You also got um, Eileen Ryan. That, that's Sean Penn's mom, isn't it? Yes, that's right. And she was, and actually, her and I, she she really wanted the, to bring the dog back. So we were the kind of the instant. We, we the two of us lobbied to bring the dog back because that was her dog in the in the in the movie too. So she really wanted to bring it bring him back. Didn't want him to die, but um, but yeah, she she was uh, she was fantastic to work with. She was great. Yeah, I quite loved her character, actually. There's something about her. She's got a fantastic acting face as well. Yeah, she didn't like those cigarettes much, you know? Like, she just <laughs> kept squinting. You know, the, the smoke was getting in her face, and she kept squinting, and uh, they were herbal cigarettes because she didn't smoke, you know? Um, but, yeah, she was great. And um, I don't know if you guys know this, but we auditioned a few people for that role and one of the people we auditioned was um the actress tippy hedron from the birds oh yeah <laughs> yeah that tippy yeah. yeah that would have been uh yeah that would have been a, a fantastic uh, bit of stunt casting for this yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah, probably the most fa- famous nature run amok movie ever <laughs> I, I know you know and i'm, I'm i like like it's sometimes you you feel conflicted when you're casting because you're like on the one hand wow you know Tippy Hedren, but Eileen just was more the character you know, mm-hmm. but then again Tippy's an actress so maybe she could have, you know, easily become that character you know, so it's it sometimes you yeah it's very tough when you're casting and you're like you look back and you go, you know did I make the right choice you know. But um, but you've got to go with you know who's who's right who's the best for the role and uh, you know what Tippy uh, it, it still looks I don't know what she's whether she's still around or what's happening with her now but back then even back then she just looked amazing couldn't believe it she she had you know hadn't aged that much and she just was she's a really classy lady it's amazing. 
Yeah, she still looks good. I saw her in an interview recently about Hitchcock. Oh, okay, she is her. still around. Okay, great. Yeah, she's still around, sort of thing. That's good. That's so. good. Now, after Eight Legged Freaks, you started. You entered into a um, a film series of Return of the Living Dead. What was it like stepping into the fourth film for? Oh my god! A popular series. Yeah, well, I got killed on that. Like, I mean, <laughs> people, I got, I got absolutely clobbered on that. Like, thanks for ruining the franchise, you know. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. No, some people really were upset with me about those movies. But I, I think what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, sometimes you, 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 you're not, you, you don't get a lot of control. You, like, sometimes you're given some scripts and you've got to do the best you can with them. And uh, and that was the case with these movies, you know. They they were it was all privately done, privately financed. There wasn't a lot of money. Big, the budgets weren't very big. We had to go and do them in Romania. So both those movies were done back to back in Romania. So I was Just in the best Yeah, seventy two days of shooting, six months in Romania. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I just had to get on a plane and go there, and I had to cast it all using videotapes from the states, and uh, and get right into pre-production. And it was just like kind of hit the ground running kind of thing. And you know they they were very insistent. Let's make two movies back to back in Romania, but let's make it. Let's try to make it look like America, like. We're going to shoot it in Romania, but we want it to be America. And I was, my feeling was, let's have a bunch of American kids in Romania. I mean, how it's very, it'd be way more interesting, you know, like we'll actually use Romania because it's the home of Dracula, you know, it's Transylvania mm. is there. And I, I just thought it would have been better if we, if I was allowed to, um, you know, actually just, let it be set in in Romania, you know. Uh, but they didn't, they, for whatever reason, they didn't want to do that. So uh, it, it it ended up being very difficult to try to recreate uh, America there, you know, because it's nothing like America. It's nothing like, it's like going back in time, like a, a hundred years back in time, or, you know, it's, uh, it's a whole different world uh, there, you know. Well, you got to work with Peter Coyote, though. What was that like? I don't really think he wanted to be there, to be honest. <laughs> I was going to sit there and say, yeah, because, I mean, you know, he's coming off like stuff from like Patch Adams, you know, a few years earlier. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we had Aaron something. In, right. Yeah, exactly. We had something in common. I think neither of us wanted to be there. Um <laughs> Uh, were, were you a fan of the earlier films in the series? And I, I bring that up because when uh, when rewatching Eight Legged Freaks, I noticed the the way the uh, the chemicals spill into um, into the lake is similar to the, uh, the the beginning of Return of the Living Dead Part Two, where it's a military yeah. truck, a canister of the trioxin falls off, yeah. and that's what brings about the zombies. I I, I that must have been subconscious uh, sort of. Uh, put into my subconscious by that movie because uh, I, I didn't intentionally do that. Uh, but I did see that movie in the eighties. I think when it first came out, I don't remember being a huge fan, to be honest, like 
I wasn't like one of these people who was in love with Return of the Living Dead, you know, as a cult classic. Or I, I, you know, I wasn't like completely in love with it. Um, I, I, but it was, it was, you know, and it was entertaining. But I just wasn't like, you know, it wasn't my favorite movie of all time. So, but maybe that that toxic waste thing sort of, uh, you know, got into the subconscious, and I ended up using it again for Eight Legged Freaks. Um, and then you but, ended up directing the sequels. <laughs> yeah, and then I ended up doing you know, Return of the Living Dead. You know, I, I I would have liked to have done you know sort of done something you know more fresh or or, or something or tried to elevate it in some way or do something different with it. But it was kind of a case of uh, here, here's the scripts, you know, uh, this is what we want and, you know, and just kind of do it like this. And, and so that was kind of how that went. And, but I, I did end up rewriting. I mean, th- th- it was a crazy, crazy shoot that those zombie movies, it was just insane, you know. I mean, things had to be written, rewritten on the fly because they weren't working. Like they couldn't practically be done the way it was written. So I, I had to rewrite, I think, like the entire third act of the second one on the fly, you know, wow. like on the go. It was madness. It kind of felt like Apocalypse Now, you know, what Coppola went through on Apocalypse Now, just insanity. And one of our, like one, one example of craziness is, uh, well, we had as the actress uh from the first one, she was supposed to do the two two movies. So her name was Jana Kramer. She later went on to become a country singer. And um, and anyway, so she was supposed to do both four and five, but she got really sick on the first one and she had to go home. So we had to bring in a new girl and then explain why the other girl had gone so we had to kill her off we had to rewrite the script to kill her off then we had to bring her back and kill her off (laughs) we had to fly her back for a day and then do her death scene but by that time she had lost like 20 pounds and she looked completely different um and uh it was it was it was crazy yeah well i mean if any consolation i think that the third one was pretty bad as well so i mean well i I actually watched that a couple weeks ago actually i was going oh okay yeah yeah yeah. well look they they were always kind of b movies really at the end of the day you know they're kind of cult movies um yeah i probably could i I could have made a great movie just based on the things that happened uh in romania doing the movie like i've i've come up with this whole plot about it like a new zombie about a film crew doing a zombie movie in Romania, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, we're, a documentary. We're, we're, you could have done Don Quixote like Terry Gillum did, but it's disastrous when you're yeah, doing it. Yeah, yeah, ex- ex- exactly. Ex- people <laughs> love to watch things go wrong, right? Like everything that could go wrong went wrong. And we had this crazy Russian producer called Anatoly, and he would say, Hillary, we make terrific pictures together. We show them all. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he would say, uh, 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 my director is depressed. My uh, actress has gallbladder infection. It's a nightmare, nightmare. 
but, and, and then we, and then he and then he and then he he said i uh we go to chernobyl i have idea we go to chernobyl and we and that's what happened we he went he we he made us go to chernobyl to shoot uh the scene where this is where they store the trioxin five uh, canisters was in chernobyl so we actually did a day in chernobyl and uh and we were only supposed to be there during the day, but he insisted we get a night shot. And so we, 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 and I said, no, we, we don't have permission. We, we, we should go. And he said, no, 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 we get night shot. We get night shot. And so we, we, we did the, the night shot. And then all of a sudden the security forces show up and they seize all our equipment and they take him into their offices and he like disappears. <laughs> and we're all waiting there like what's going to happening. And then he finally comes out an hour later and he's like white. And his face is white and he's like running to the car and he gets in the car and he's like, go, go, go. And we drive. And, and, and I said, what, what the hell's going on? And he said, he said, they, they want the film. They ask for the film. And I was like, well, did you give it to him? He said, no, no, I give them the video playback. I tell them we shoot on video. Drive, drive, drive. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we, so we, we escape, escape from Chernobyl. Uh, <laughs> One of those things. It's only funny because nobody died. <laughs> yeah, and so like he, he's the kind of producer that if we found actual zombies locked up in Chernobyl, he would want to use them for the film. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> And, and and that that's actually the plot of my next zombie film is this crazy producer he wants to he wants to use these real zombies and they end up killing everybody and the only people left are the stunt guy and the lead leading lady that, that actually sounds like a fun movie <laughs> right 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 oh, yeah. man. they asked me for Romania became part of the EU as well wasn't it as well so they were still kind of like under Soviet rule in a certain way not yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Like it was, it was, it was very depressing in a lot of ways because it was so, you, you know, it, they it still felt like they were under communism in the eighties. Like it was so depressed and wild dogs in the streets and like it's a beautiful country, but it just was very. It's very poor and um, uh, it was it wasn't the most happy place uh, to to work. You know. Uh, I think the average wage there is like two hundred dollars a month back then. Oh, yeah, you know. So, so, but, but, you know what? It, it, that, 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 that they were the crew and everyone was was awesome and and uh, and everyone does their best, you know. But, but compared to working in Hollywood, it, it did feel like a step down, you know, because in Hollywood you need weapons for a movie, like you need you need ammunition, you need you need guns and you need grenades and things, you know. You just hire all the staff or whatever. And then, but there you've got an old guy carving a grenade out of a block of wood in a shed, you know, <laughs> and he's like, and you're like, can I have a dozen? Yeah, sure. Uh, they'll be ready next month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they work at their, their own pace there. Yeah. 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 What, what, what strikes me as funny is you have these producers who are demanding that you make this film look like it's in the United States, but also at the same time going, Hey, let's go shoot in Chernobyl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. what well, Chernobyl, Michigan. Well, uh, yeah, no, that's that's funny, but but no, actually, that was Chernobyl for, for Chernobyl. So it was like, 
that was just to it. Ju- that was that was actually not supposed to be in the U.S. So they were saying that the, the, the it was part of the plot to say this is where the government hid the uh, what what better place to hide the uh, you know the the cannibals oh. than Chernobyl, and then they brought them back to the states. That was the that was the uh, the the premise or whatever. That was the idea, you know. Hmm. All right, it's been uh, it's been a long time since I've seen them. So, oh, you're I, so I, lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I still own the DVDs. <laughs> well, that's good. Like you know what, they are entertaining. I like I've I've kind of come around to them more over time. Like I, I think that because it was such a nightmare to shoot, it it's taken a long time to kind of get over that <laughs> yeah. you know so so when you as a filmmaker you watch this stuff and it just brings back all the pain of shooting it you know mm. um but 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 now i just sort of now i can watch them and and sort of enjoy them and the second one part five is a lot better than the first one the first one i was kind of finding my feet and the second one is just a, a much slicker production, and that's also because I brought an American cinematographer on to the second one um, because I just could not uh, could not had no uh, rapport at all with the Romanian cinematographer. I just it was like talking to a a bank teller, you know. Um, mm. I couldn't communicate, and um, and we're just on a different planet. So 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 you know that that really. Uh, out of the two movies, I would say Rave to the Grave is a lot more uh, watchable. You then moved on to Wild a Paddle, Nature's Calling. Yeah. How was that experience? That's a bit different, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> big departure, yes. Yeah, big departure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know what? That, that was probably the most fun experience I've ever had making a movie. I mean, I mean, you know. Uh, you're in the you're in the woods. You're on the water. You've got two hot girls and a treehouse. What more could you want? You know. <laughs> I mean, it was it was great, but it, it was a challenge because I I I had to do that movie in 23 days, um, and um, on location. So so that was that was a challenge, but we did it, and we came in on time and under budget. So that was that was. Uh, uh, that was a good feeling to be able to just do something at a, at a high level quality and, and actually be able to achieve it. Um, but yeah, look, it was fun. You know, it's a buddy adventure comedy, you know? So uh, um, I really, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, and at that point I really needed a job. So it was really good timing. Um, I think I said to my agent, um, you know, um, you need to help me find work. Otherwise, I'm screwed. I'm going to have to go back to New Zealand and uh, work on a farm again because, you know. And so he, he said, oh, I got, well, I got you a meeting at Paramount and uh, about this project. So um, so I, I uh, you know, it, it, it sort of, uh, they, they were looking for ideas on how to freshen up the script. And uh, I think uh, having, being a writer helps. Being a writer-director can help you get jobs because if, if, if somebody has a script that just sort of needs a little more love, you, you can, you've got good ideas that can help you win the job as a director as well. Um, so, so I kind of went in there with some, some fresh ideas and they liked what I had to say. And uh, I, you know, I ended up doing the movie. Um, 
there was a little bit of CGI in there, you know, like with the with the squirrels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was that was fun. The the killer squirrels, the the angry squirrels. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know. So so look, any ch- chance you get to make a movie is, is any time you get to make a movie is 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 a blessing, you know. Just being able to tell a story and, and make a movie, and so. But yeah, it was it was a, definitely a departure from from scary from the scary movies into more sort of uh, Disney type of uh, buddy yeah. comedy, you know. Yeah, and and, and losing virginity and everything. Yeah, and and you know when you look at that film now, it really is the end of an era. Like, so I look at that film now, and I'm like, oh my god, it's just so cheesy. Um, because after that, so that was 2004. Four, I think it came out. No, it was made in 2004. I think it came out in 2009. Sorry. Yeah. So it must've been shot in, sorry. Return of the living dead was 2004. I was on location. So yeah. So I was shooting that without a paddle in 2008, I think. All right. And then it came out in 2009, but, but it just seems like after that movie, all, the tone of everything kind of changed. And so it was almost like the end of an era. So you just don't see that kind of movie anymore. Like everything's just become a lot more uh, edgy, you know, darker and, you know. Um, what came at the end of the era, like the American Pie films and Euro yeah. trips and so on and so forth. So it came exactly. at the end of that era. Exactly, exactly, yeah. It's kind of yeah. funny to look back on 2009 as kind of innocent, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's quite funny because it now seems like Netflix is bringing back that kind of teen film back again through some of their um, in the stuff that they're producing at the moment. So you kind of, you're starting to see a nod to those films, the, 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 the 90s teen films. Yeah, a couple of their other ones, Kissing Booth, I think, is one of them, and so on and so yeah. forth. So it's quite interesting that they're starting to have a nod back to that, and it looks like yeah. they're trying to re revamp it so we're have a little bit more light, fun, just a bunch of Why? stupid going ons, and let's have a good time while we're watching a film, sort of thing, without covering yeah. too many social issues at the which is what <clears throat> we went into for a little while with those kind of films. So right, right, right. So after um, Nature Calls, did you move back to New Zealand or did yeah. you stay in L.A. for a while? No, I, I decided to move back. I, I you know, I, I, it wasn't the best experience with the studio. Like I had a really great time making the movie. But, um, you know, the producer I was working with um, was was an executive uh, who, you know, he, he set up a new division. To, the idea was to make straight straight to video productions we were gonna all be one big happy family and just do all these straight to video sequels and it sounded awesome I was like great this could be really good you know we get to do uh like have all this work you know happening but he you know we just didn't really see eye to eye and paramount ended up you know kind of scrapping that plan and he was his company folded and it didn't for whatever reason, they didn't continue with him. Um, um, but but yeah, he we were just a different generation, so the the you know we just didn't have the same ideas on things, you know. And so so you know the production was fine, but afterwards he just kind of took the movie and 
did a studio cut and wasn't really interested in in, help, in, in my director's cut. Um, but there's not a lot you can do about it, you know. If they've, yeah. if they've contractually, they've got the cut. They've got that's that's the way it goes. So you know, it's kind of it's a little bit frustrating because you know they do a stu- they did they do the producer's cut. Let's not call it a studio cut. I don't want to say that it was Paramount's fault. You know, let's call it a producer's cut. And um, and uh, and then they put your name on it, like the like you made those decisions, you know. Mm. And and it's not really fair. I mean, I didn't I didn't make those decisions to cut it like that, you know. And it can make all the difference, you know. The way something is cut can can really make a huge difference to the film. Um, but you know, you just have to suck it up, and you can't let it uh, bother you too much. You know, you just have to move on. So, so after that experience, it kind of, uh, I kind of thought, right, I'll, I'm going to go back to New Zealand and try to uh, do some sort of independent things to sort of take control of what I'm doing more. So I just went home and uh, just developed a bunch of stuff and, uh, and uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, I just ended up with, I've just ended up with a massive pile of scripts and no films. <laughs> <laughs> but so, I, so, so I guess what happened was I went into this writing zone and I'm still in it. Like I'm still writing and I've just got this big pile of projects just stacking up. I did... You know, I, I I have done some other things like commercials and written commercials and shot commercials. Uh, I made a short film called Still Standing, which is a comedic sort of a mockumentary, and it's on my YouTube channel. It's called Still Standing, and then I wrote a feature version with with, a, with the same guy I did the short with. We wrote the feature version of Still Standing, which is about a sport that doesn't actually exist. Where you basically just stand still and you strike a pose, and that's the sport. <laughs> uh, hence, the, hence the title, still standing. Um, so, so check it out. It's on my YouTube channel, and and then I, that, that that feature script got optioned by a company, but then they just kind of sat on it and did nothing with it. Um, and then after that, I've just been writing, really like writing like crazy, and developing all kinds of stuff putting together concept trailers like the one that, you know, the Pestilence one. So I've been very, very busy. It's just that, you know, no, I haven't actually, you know, shot, you know, nothing's actually um, manifested, you know, in terms of uh, a movie. And and now you've got this big change happening in the industry, as you guys know, where all of a sudden – you know, the big screen is uh, it looks like it's on the way out and everything's about streaming and online. And and so everything's sort of changing. So I'm kind of having to pivot towards that new paradigm. So I'm kind of, so now I'm writing for, I'm still writing movies, but I'm, ri- I'm also writing TV pilots. So I, I wrote a sci-fi TV pilot that I, that, that my agent, you know, went out with and I got interest in it and it's uh it's kind of a UFO it's a UFO um related uh um pilot so that that's out there I have interest in that um I'm currently writing a detective pilot which I'm almost finished with and also a low budget sci-fi uh sci-fi project um which um 
So I've got stuff that I'm kind of ready to go out with again, but it's just a weird climate right now. You know, you, you just don't know, you know, what, what's going to fly or uh, how active it is out there. You know, I, it seems like things are, have slowed down in some degree. Would you agree with that? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I think it's because everyone's not, you know, I think we're at that point where people are not quite sure what the future holds. And, yeah. I mean, 2020 is kind of, kind of slammed everyone up against the wall a little bit. So. Yeah. Yeah, it, it has. It has. I mean, I kind of went off on a bit of a side road, something that I didn't mention. I went off on a bit of a side road into, into apps, into iPhone apps. So I kind of got into technology and, 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 and so I made an, an iPhone app uh, called pocket whip. Um, and it ended up going to number one on the app store, um, which was pretty cool. Um, and it, cause it was used on the big bang theory TV show. Okay. Wait, uh, you said Pocket Whip? Yeah. Was that the the app where you just kind of move your phone and it sounds uh -huh. like a whip cracking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a couple years ago. Yeah, that's my uh, that's my practical joking side again coming out. You know. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize that was you. Okay, that's that's yeah. that's cool. I remember that being uh, being pretty big, like like uh, like, like maybe four or five years ago. Yeah, a lot, probably longer ago. It was it, it kind of hit it kind of peaked and it, it it peaked in 2012. So 2012. So I made it after I went back to New Zealand after without a paddle. I I you know was looking for something to do, and the app store had just started in 2009. So I I started downloading all these apps and playing around, and and I and then came up with the idea for the whip. And uh, and I found some local developers in New Zealand, and they helped me do it. And I learned all about apps and the App Store, and and uh, and I just put it online, and it just organically started growing. And then about and so then three years later, in 2012, um, uh, it, you know, it it it's on the Big Bang Theory. I mean, it's Sheldon <laughs> Sheldon Sheldon is using it on the show. It's like a running gag. Every time one of the guys gets pussy whipped by the girlfriend, the guy they pull out the phone and they whip the phone as a joke. <laughs> and, 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 and all of a sudden, my, my app that's been making a few hundred dollars a week, which is not bad, all of a sudden it's making $5,000 a day. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But but that didn't last. I mean, it, it it was popular for a couple of weeks, and then it kind of gradually just went down the charts, and that's kind of what I expected, you know. But but it was a nice kind of. It was a nice thing, and it was a it was it was a it changed the way I thought about entertainment and 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 selling entertainment and and platforms and the whole thing, and it kind of and it, and I was kind of thinking to myself. You know what? Why can't I just make do the same thing with a movie? Why can't I just make a movie like that and stick it on the app store, and Apple gets thirty percent and I get seventy percent, and there's no producers and there's no distributors and there's no exhibitors and there's none of these people and it's so clean and so easy and why can't that happen? <laughs> so, so it was a kind of a good in that way of, of changing my mindset to to how things could be done. 
you know. Um, and uh, so, 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 you know, I, I, it really was a, a good experience uh, making, getting into apps. But, 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 you know, uh, uh, movies are still the passion, the main passion, number one passion. I still really want to do, tell stories and do another project. Um, so I'm doing, doing, doing whatever I can. It, 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 you know, at this point, I'm ready to just, you know, do, 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 do almost do anything, if, even if I have to do it on an iPhone, you know. Well, I mean, there's, a, there's so many ways. Um, there's so many people looking for content at the moment. At, at the moment, but sometimes you wonder when that bubble is going to burst eventually. Well, well, that's because, true. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I know, like in this country, you know, you have, of course, you have your BBC, ITV, Channel Four, and you have your um, apps to watch television. And of course, they're competing against Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, so on and so forth. But then they decide that these channels said, okay, well, we'll beat them at their own game and do do BritBox, which is basically like the best of British television and films. And yeah, yeah they're taking a bit of a kicking because it's kind of like, oh, and they're going to, and they, I think they're doing a new split, um, splitting image series. Um, they right. got it on BritBox. And yeah, and it's kind of like, well, you know, people are like, well, we can't keep paying for, you know, these streaming services one after the other sort of thing. So I think yeah. eventually it's, you know, they're going to kind of bottom up. But then as I think we were discussing that with another app that we were discussing earlier, it's like, you know, you have the impression that they come out with their own series, but all they're doing, doing is buying content and slapping their name on it sometimes as well. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear from all those people who are looking for con- for content. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the way, the way I've, the way I've found the most effective thing I've found is, you know, uh, is just writing a really good pilot script and and having a really good bible like a, a, a you know which is an overview document or a pitch deck I guess you could call it mm-hmm. um, and, and 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 those two things together can 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 get somebody's attention and that's what happened with uh, the UFO project um, I got the attention of the producers of Pandora and uh, they they're still very interested in that project but. You know, nobody's in a hurry to, to, to make decisions right now. There's a lot of uncertainty. So I'm just, I put that on the back burner and I move on to the next idea. And, and you know, and that's kind of how you have to do oh, it. Oh, good. That's yeah, good. This, is, uh, this has been really, uh, really cool and informative. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you got to, uh, you got to set the record straight on, uh, on Return of the Living Dead and all that stuff. Or, you know, like you said, you got, you know, bludgeoned by, by people for it. And uh, maybe, um, uh, undeservedly, <laughs> undeservedly uh, uh, bludgeoned by people for them because at the end of the day, they they are still entertaining films. Oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I just that's what I want. It's all all I can really try to do is just make make as work with what you have, make the most entertaining film you can, and. You that, know, that is yeah. that's the name of the game uh, for, for this um out of uh out of your uh all your features that have uh that have gotten the wide releases what do you think is your best film oh well it has to be what? eight-legged freaks you know uh um, yeah in, t- in terms of you mean in terms of my personal favorite I, I i guess both i guess eight-legged freaks is probably the most successful and then yeah uh what, what is your personal favorite of the films you've made well, I guess out of everything, I, I have to go back to my little black and white short film. You know, that was the genesis. That was the thing that kind of 
you know, um, started everything. <laughs> um, so, and, you know, and, you know, and the funny thing is, like, I, I, I just was allowed to do what I wanted. I, I just, I wrote it and, and, and uh, directed it the way I wanted it to, to do it and with very little uh, interference and, and it was very successful and then it led to, uh, you know, a big movie. And so it's just weird that people want to, they can't just let, like, for some reason, like, I don't know, they can't just let, let you do what you do. You know, a lot, you know, so I just kind of feel like, uh, yeah. And I think, but really, you know, without complaining, I think really the key is for creatives and for directors and anyone out there, you just have to find a good producer. You have to find someone who's like, allows you to, to do your thing and, and work with you. And, you know, I think that's really like Roland and Dean, you know, they're, they're, they're a good, uh, a good combination. And I think that's what, that's what I would say to any aspiring director is find your kind of muse or your, 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 your producer that kind of allows you to be you and, and do what you do best. You also think that um, now that Hollywood's become more, more of a business business as well, that's um, yes. cause before you guys have like United Artists, didn't you? And they used to like bring people in and it's a bit like the recording studios as well, as far as music yeah. is concerned, you kind of have to hit it out of the ball running. And if you don't, yeah. that, you know, that's kind of it now. So yeah. it seems like it, it's no longer taking care of the talent and, you know, and, you know, helping this talent grow is kind of like this talent needs to be hitting it a home run every single time sort of thing I find nowadays. So, yeah. and then because the corporation is all about the bottom dollars, not so much about the art, it's so much about what the bottom dollar is going to be now, which yeah. seems to be yeah. the way the system's going at the moment. So, yeah, yeah. So it's nothing new, really. I mean, it's sort of been, been doing that. It's been going that way for a while. Um, but I think there's still some room for some art in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah <laughs> every once in a while yeah sort of thing. so what we'll do is we'll wind up our interview with yourself and want to thank you for joining the literary license podcast and say that eight-legged freaks is one of our favorite films and we really enjoyed it and thank you for doing this interview with us thank you very much i really enjoyed it thank you again Mallory. this has been a pleasure yeah and uh joe um This has been a Literary License Podcast production. Until next time, and do not forget to comment or share. We would so admirably appreciate your support. And this broadcast has come to you from the Twilight Zone.